All right. Well, hey, welcome to Legacy Church. It's good to get together as a church family this morning. Love seeing all of you. Most of you I know, if I haven't met you yet, I would love that opportunity. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor here at the church. And as a church family, we've been going through the book of Daniel for four weeks now. Today's week five, but it's not. We're going to pick up week five next week. I thought we were going to talk about Daniel. I was prepping for it. I got the message and everything. Um, but then some stuff came up during the week that I really believe we need to talk through. So Daniel 5, if you want, you could reread it or prep for it for next week. It's a great study. It helps us to see a contrast between King Nebuchadnezzar and how he acted in chapter four, and then also the new king and how he acted. So Nebuchadnezzar acts with humility for the first time in his life in chapter four. And we looked at that last week. And then next week, we'll look at the new king and what Daniel does. And, and it's the handwriting on the wall. It's a famous, famous story. But we'll study that next week. Instead, what I want to talk through is is following up on just a work the Lord's been doing in my life for the last week in light of what was shared last Sunday. If you were here, uh, you heard this, and if you weren't, then I'll share it with you. Our team that came back from Columbia, they shared a quick update on different things. We did mission trip in Columbia and a couple other places this summer. And the team was sharing how they went to one of these tribes, and I've been to a tribe similar to this, and so I was able to visualize how this played out. But they were in this one tribe, and there was a section where they met this family, and the family, when they placed their faith in Christ, sort of the consequence among their tribe was they lost their home and they lost their farm. And I'm sitting right over here, hearing this testimony shared. And I found myself really disturbed by that in a holy way in which I was thinking, I, I don't know if I could do that. I mean, losing my home, losing uh, my property, and then in their case, the farm along with it, so the means to make money. And that family in Columbia had to live in the slums in this little area of the tribe, and they had to just have, get handouts and stuff like that. And hearing that really um, in a good and godly way, it messed with me. It made me um, reevaluate some things of where my own heart is before the Lord. And so I want to talk through this a little bit. It's not a sermon about me, but there is context that allows me to give some um, you know, explanation of why this was so meaningful. When I was a child, so when I was, I got saved when I was a little kid, but when I was going into sixth grade, so I was still little, but I felt older. I felt like I was, you know, big shot going into sixth grade, right? Now. So I'm at this camp and I still remember when the speaker shared and explained who Jesus was and it hit me in a way it didn't register before that. And the Lord got hold of my heart there right in the beginning of adolescence and just led me so well. <clears throat> and one of the things that happened in that camp was they actually gave everybody a blank check. And I believe it was written to God. And the idea is like, we would write our name in the check. Like I'm, I'm giving myself to you, Lord. And that really hit me hard. I've shared this with Lynn before and she's like, oh, that's kind of corny. And I was like, yeah, I know. But for me, that was, that was really meaningful. Uh, maybe it's because my mind, you know, just thinks that way. And so that was strengthened and emphasized just the, this idea of open-handed to the Lord, whatever he wants to do with my life. And, and at the time, I really thought I was going to go overseas and go be a missionary in some tribe somewhere, like places somebody's never heard, and it takes like three days to get to there. And uh, what God did to strengthen this open-handedness to him was he used this passage in Philippians 3. I'm going to read some of this for you. And this is one of those books in high school, Philippians was like the book that really deepened my faith. I uh, memorized about half of it because it just was so, um, 
I don't know, it was, just, it was the book. It was the book I would always talk about. Everyone's like, all right, Adam, we know Philippians. There's other books in the Bible. Well, Philippians 3, there's this section where Paul writes this. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to the zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. I said, like, he had it. He had the perfect resume. And I read this as a kid and I was like, man, I really strive for perfection in my own life and my family. I know what it's like to kind of like be the leader of like a pack within whatever like little spot I was in. And then he says in verse seven, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the, of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. <clears throat> this is one of those passages when I read it, it blew my mind. It really did. I, I didn't realize that the cost of knowing Christ was this, like to this degree. Like it's one thing to be dedicated. I was dedicated in a lot of things. It was a whole nother ball game to say like, oh, I'm all in to the point where I'll take everything that I've uh, accumulated till now and set it off to the side for the sake of Christ. Well, that meant a lot to me in high school. The thing is, in hindsight, uh, I, I didn't have a lot. Like, I didn't have any money in the, in the bank account. Maybe 50 bucks. Didn't have a car to my name. Didn't have a house. Didn't have a wife. Didn't have kids. Didn't even have a high school degree at the time. And yet, I clung to this passage. Well, when you fast forward now, 15, 20 years, whatever the number is, it is a different reading. Because now I read it and go, well, I actually have stuff. Uh, I, have a, I have a lot of stuff, particularly like in, in comparison to other parts of the world. Uh, I've worked really hard to get where we are. Um, even our own family, like our, our little property we have, Lynn and I have had worked really hard on this thing to get it to where it is and to let it make some money in the way that it is. And so there's blood, sweat, and tears with that too. It's not just a home. And hearing the testimony of what happened in Colombia. I realized that there was this, and unaware to me, I had allowed there to be something where I couldn't just be like, Lord, here I am. Like, here it is. Like, this is yours. And it messed with me. So I did a lot of business with the Lord uh, last week during the worship services. And then uh, Sunday, as soon as the service was over, and Monday, and just every day, pressing in, working through this. And one of the wonderful things was the Lord in the midst of that, he didn't shame me for uh, sort of violating a really deep conviction that I had before him since I was a child or uh, kicked me to the side. In fact, he was really quick to like, as I made my heart humble and sensitive, Lord, what, what is your truth in this, in this angst, like a holy angst? What, what is it? I don't just want man-made wisdom and something earthly and something off of, you know, Shark Tank or something off of Facebook or something like something of the Lord to address that here I am struggling to let go of things that you've given me. It was so clear. He said, you are acting like you are the owner of these things, but uh, he's the owner and I'm just to be a faithful steward of these things. I don't actually own these things. And it, and it pierced through the fuzziness. In fact, there's a verse along these lines that he used to, you know, to explain this to me here. First Corinthians 4. Verses one and two, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and servants of the mysteries of God. 
Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And so this emphasis on being a faithful steward really hit me to the core. So good, piercing through a lot of different things. So I started thinking through my, 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 my life, like my, my wife, I don't own her. My children, I don't own them, even though we created them. You know? And like my home, it's not mine. Here it is. It is the Lord's. My car, yes, it's the Lord's. And I like my car. It's cool. It's fun. It's the Lord's. Uh, my job, uh, this church even, um, it's not my church. It's God's church. You know, to, we need to be a faithful steward of what that which God gave me. So he's been working that in me. I share this th- with all of you because my suspicion is, as I pray for you all throughout the week and everything, that the Lord uh, is pointing in different areas of your heart that you may say similar, I thought I owned this, and now the Lord's revealing to me, actually, it's on loan to me, <laughs> and I'm, I'm called to be a faithful steward. You may use the metaphor of it could be uh, 10 shekels or five shekels or one shekel, it doesn't matter. Are we faithful stewards of that which God has entrusted to us? And so I've been working through this. Now let's continue this conversation because as we think about this idea of being a faithful steward, the reality is it's incredibly difficult. It's difficult in a lot of ways for us to live in uh, with that mindset or to live open-handedly, not, not closed-fisted saying, Lord, you can touch all these areas of my life, but this is the area that I'm just not gonna let you have. One reason it's really hard to live that way. Well, I got three or four. Um, the first, I'd say we live in a very hedonistic society. So we, we just live in a culture that allows us to have uh, kind of like um, all of our dreams and aspirations to, to certain degrees. Um, we have access to stuff and it allows us to just enjoy a bunch of things that the reality is God may call us to release or whatever. So we can get a lot of that stuff. Um, it can happen in church culture uh, for those who've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you're visiting and this is the first time you've ever been in a church. You're going to hear this and think, what is he talking about? But for other people who've been here for a while or any church for a while, you can relate in that um, church culture in the U.S. and a couple other countries. It tends to be very um, uh, self-serve sort of based. So it's like, hey, come and like, let like, these different areas of your life be served and, um, and it feels good. And then you just like jump in your car and you go home as opposed to more the body of Christ, all being members of the body and working together and uh, all receiving, but also all, all giving. So that interdependent dynamic. Uh, so that can, that can be a place. Another, another major one is just that personal grip of your flesh. We have sin in our life and our flesh craves things. And so listen to these verses out of Romans 7. You know, as a, as a, well, I turn there, as Americans, I would say this is like super true for us, but then I'm reminded even Paul himself dealt with, and Paul's a totally different culture, Roman culture, ancient Rome, and he dealt with the same sort of phrases that we can relate to. In Romans 7, verse 15, he says, for I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. A little later in verse 18, 19, 20, he says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. You see that Paul is explaining just how his flesh is a strong force to be reckoned with, and that's true for all of us. So even if we lived in a persecuted society like Paul was, 
uh, even if the church was uh, incredibly pure, you know, one generation removed from Jesus, like Paul was, you still have the battle with the flesh day in and day out. That hasn't changed. True for us now, true for Paul and everybody in between. And so we're always battling that flesh and that makes it incredibly difficult to be a follower of Christ who is surrendered to God. Because even when you work through, I don't know, five big rocks in your life, there'll still be a new one that your flesh is like, hey, let's begin to, like, for instance, let's begin to covet this thing. You're like, oh, okay, that's, and then you have to learn to surrender that. Or, oh, let's begin to, um, um, I don't know, I'll use another commandment, but like, let's break the Sabbath. That's okay. We begin to compromise or excuse that, stuff like that. And the flesh, it is, uh, it is fierce in its uh, draw for us. And then a fourth area that I, I would uh, submit to you is like, is there, it's present, uh, and, and it really deals with sort of a half-baked theology. Um, you might, again, not be a follower of Christ, so this is important for you to know. Others of you, you might be new in your walk, and you've never kind of heard a complete description of the gospel and how it is both a gift and also a call. So it's a gift in that the benefits and the privileges of being a follower of Christ are wonderful. The big one is salvation. People know that one all the time. But then you have peace, your peace with God, inner peace that surpasses understanding. That's amazing. You have joy. Well, the joy of the Lord is something that carries you through even the worst of times. There's, there's God's promises of uh, his presence and his strengthening that carry us through all sorts of things. And so we see these wonderful benefits, whether we are in the U.S. again or other countries or other times in history, these promises, these gifts, these rights and privileges of being a follower of Christ are, are uh, all there. That's, that's wonderful for us. What we tend to forget or have not heard or have not learned it's not the gift side, it's the other one. And it's that call, it's a response. It's one that says, here I am, Lord. It's one that says, just as Christ sacrificed for me, let me also respond with a heart of worship and sacrifice. One that is all in on the things of God. Think about some of these different verses. Luke 9. We did Luke, um, a study on that for almost a year or maybe an entire year. It was, it was a while. We just finished that. And in Luke 9, Jesus says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Friends, it is really easy when it comes to Christian faith to have belief in the work of Jesus Christ. Well, actually, it's not really that easy, I guess, because a lot of people don't. But the belief side feels a little less committal or sacrificial. It's when you put your like heart in a state of surrender to God that tends to be the most difficult day in and day out. I'm not talking like for a week or at camp or on a mission trip. Like we have all of these little spurts where we can say, Lord, here I am. Oh, you are the Lord. You are awesome. You can have whatever you want. And we have these moments, but in the day, out, in the, uh, day in and in the day out, that's where I see the biggest challenge in my life and in your lives of actual surrender throughout our lives. Uh, there's, another, there's another verse in the Old Testament that catches my attention along these lines. Totally different context, but the phrasing and the posture of David's heart is good too. It's in First Chronicles 
24, wait, 24:21. No, I'm in the wrong chapter. Here we go. First Chronicles 21, and then in 24, David says, I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And the context is different, but this heart and this posture that he has of saying, listen, I'm not gonna take of the Lord that which doesn't cost me anything. That's a whole concept that's really missing or under-described for those in Christian circles and in faith or those who are exploring the claims of Christ. It's not talked about a lot because it's uncomfortable, it's challenging, and frankly, it's, I would submit to you, the most difficult thing that you will do in your life. I've seen all sorts of random difficulties, some in your lives, how you guys press on through tragedy. I've seen uh, difficulty like my wife birthing three children, incredibly difficult. Holy cow, that's crazy. And yet following Christ with a heart of surrender, I would say is the most difficult that you'll do. It will require something of you that is impossible in the flesh. So maybe you're thinking, well, then how do I do it? What is my response? Like, how am I to live this out? This is so challenging. This is so difficult. Or you're thinking about how, yeah, I haven't really done that very well. Um, what do I do there? Well, my reminder for you is mm, at least two things. We'll see if a third comes to mind. The first is remember the Holy Spirit who is at work within you. If you're a follower of Christ, he's in you. He's empowering you and he is at work within you. So you are able to live out your faith, not by your own strength, not by your own wit, not by your own um, heritage or upbringing, but by the daily grace of the Holy Spirit at work within you. The second area is to remember that God's word will guide you through this path. And so Psalm 119, 105 says, your lamp is a light to my feet or a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that is so true. We use God's word to guide us day in and day out through our lives. We might find ourselves running to all sorts of random uh, self-help books or podcasts and things like that. And some stuff may help even for the moment, but I'm telling you, God's word is that which is eternal. It will lead us through the most challenging times and the thickest um, confusion of things. I'm reminded of just this week, I was able to go up to the National Park. I love going up there and I was hiking on a trail by myself and I went down this trail. I've never done it before. Um, I actually got myself this like, I didn't bring a walking stick. I actually didn't even bring enough gear. I wasn't planning to do a hike, but I had the chance to. So I just threw in like some beef jerky and two water bottles in my backpack. Like the classic thing of when you read a scenario of somebody who dies hiking and they're like, they didn't bring stuff. I thought this is, the, by the end of the hike, I thought that's what, exactly what I did. But uh, I didn't have a walking stick, but it was 850 feet incline. And so I found this big branch. I mean, the thing was like as tall as me. So I think I'm just going, I was like, this is like an arm workout while I'm hiking. Like Maddie would be so proud. You know, like this is good. And so I'm going up hiking. And, and at one point, uh, the, the path got super narrow. And, um, you know, like the brush was on each side. It hadn't been really worked on or whatever, walked a lot. And I actually thought I was past the point I was supposed to get. I mean, I went to that point that I thought I was at and I went extremely beyond that and then I still wasn't there and I thought, oh no, did I just do this to myself? I did not bring a compass. I think the road is this way and at least I'll go downhill and I'll eventually hit something, right? Like if I have to trailblaze. And while I was hiking, I, I, I'm, I'm praying through all this stuff the Lord's already been working in my heart regarding surrender. And I'm walking this path and in that same moment, just had this very simple prompting. Hey, just stay on the path. 
I'm like, oh, that's obvious. Like, of course, I'm going to stay on the path. I'm not going to just start wandering off. But the idea of like, there's already a path for us. Let's just walk in it is what comes to mind with this passage and this whole, this whole topic. Uh, we have God's word to lead us. God, he gives us a path. Usually it is most clear when you are immersed in God's word and you're using it as a light to let you walk through day in and day out. I will say I got out of the, uh, the trail and here I am. So I survived that one. Slight uh, heat exhaustion, but not too bad. And in light of this passage and this whole concept of just surrender, uh, it leads us to uh, a, a time in communion. Um, you know, as I think about this whole idea that salvation, it is free to us. Jesus, he has atoned for our sin. Um, but even though it's free in that we don't have to die on the cross, uh, salvation still costs us everything when it comes to our belief and our surrender and this posture of our heart that says, all right, Christ, you did this. And this is my response to you, not just lip service, but an actual surrender. Uh, some people fra phrase that as uh, Jesus is the Lord of my life, you know, not just my savior. There's a place for that. There's other ways that's problematic, but nonetheless. As we take communion, I want us to uh, work through it with this mindset of surrender. So Maddie, you and the team, you guys can come on up here. Uh, and, you know, we take this and we talk through it. Each time we talk through it a little differently, same, same principles, but, you know, a little different take depending on who's leading us through communion. And the tendency with how simple this is, because we don't have something for you to walk up, because we don't have a, a, a jar that's pouring stuff out or a big loaf of bread that we're breaking off. You know, when we first started, we used to use like those beefy Triscuits for communion. We're like, we really want to like have the texture and stuff. Anyway, we stopped doing that. But here we have these little guys. And the tendency is just to pop the wafer, drink the juice, and then move on. And kind of be like, cool, I did, I did it. I want to encourage us here as we take the, these elements to, to first allow ourselves to ask, have we surrendered to Christ? Can we really say, I surrender all? Or is it more so, I surrender most? And there's some things that I actually like to keep to myself. It is, uh, it's totally out of place for us as followers of Christ to enjoy the, well, to, to remember the work of Christ on the cross and to enjoy the benefits of what he did for us while we ourselves are like one foot in all these other things that we can't give over to him. If Christ gave it all, we can too. And so I want us to sing a song here uh, and allow this just to prepare our heart. And then I'll come back and I'll lead us through taking these elements. And, um, and you can respond however you may, may want to. We have the, uh, the rug here. You can come and you can kneel there if you like, or the cross. Some people like to write down prayer requests or things that they want to surrender to God on cards, sit it there. Um, and we throw that stuff out later. If, so no one's going to read that. And... Um, and I'll be available for prayer too if you want. So we'll just take a song to prepare our heart. And, and the real question for you if, you, if you if you missed it, is just, is there um, a place in your heart that you haven't surrendered? And if so, what is that? Do, do the work of confessing that and allowing you to be purely worshiping the Lord and not holding stuff back from, from God.